Welcome to Grimdark Battle Station, the show that takes sci-fi politics too seriously and just recently became self-aware. This extra holiday episode is another Nibbler episode where we cover a few smaller topics instead of doing a deep dive. This time we're going to look at Terminator, Star Wars and Star Trek and try and figure out why everybody is so mean to Skynet, why Palpatine returned to a dump like Exegol and how in the hell could a united Earth ever exist and deliver us that sexy beast that is Jean-Luc Picard. First, let's head back to Christmas time three years ago, when we were treated to a relatively underwhelming end to the Skywalker saga, with the standard amount of plot holes and weird segues. Now, while Rise of Skywalker didn't give most people the ending they had hoped for, it did give us some cool space battles and the return of the best villain in the entire setting, Emperor Palpatine. And, leaving aside the somehow of his return, seeing that creepy space nonce again was nostalgia galore. And when he launched his plan to destroy and reconquer the galaxy, it was suitably evil and destructive in scale. Evil, destructive, and logistically aneurysm-inducing. Because, if you remember correctly, he launched it from a giant lightning-bound planet that you couldn't even take a ship off from. He launched it from a hidden ancient Sith cult world known as Exegol. What was Exegol? Well, it was a crap heap of a planet. It had dusty static in the atmosphere that prevented spaceships from taking flight. It was ran by Sith cultists who were equal parts insane and environmentally destructive. It needed a wayfinder to find it using hyperspace lanes. Uh, it was relatively barren. And the topography had been completely destroyed by the Sith Eternal cultists searching for some sort of teleportation or so. I, I, I don't really know. I, I probably zoned out when they were explaining it. Uh, but these religious nutcakes ran the entire society, I suppose. It preceded the Galactic Republic and it was pretty much left off the quarantine list when the old Sith Empire fell. So it kind of hung out all secret and full of Sith for a while. Palpatine found it. And uh, he wanted to use it as a secret base for his final master plan, which was two or three master plans after his original master plan, which still involved equal amounts of cackling and strategic ineptitude. So overall, then, we get this kind of best-kept secret, very important Sith planet that we never hear about until several decades after Palpatine comes to power. And it's a, it's a great home for Sith religion, and also apparently... Sith industry. Uh, Palpatine took over and built automated shipyards, which in official canon were active just around about the time of Empire Strikes Back, and he was already designing his Ziston-class Star Destroyers, these Star Destroyers that we saw that were able to crack open the surface of entire planets. So really part of his whole long game for the Sith Eternal or the Final Order it's not entirely sure whether he thought Death Star 1 would work, or Death Star 2 with Luke would work, or the whole Anakin thing would work before he turned into Vader. It's likely he just had a lot of different strategies for answering that age-old question of how does a Sith achieve total power without getting killed by his apprentice. And speaking of getting killed by your apprentice, he also had cloning facilities on Exegol before Return of the Jedi. A fact you will remember that Darth Vader forgot to tell his son Luke as he lay dying on the Death Star that the Emperor might return one day. Absentee fathers, am I right? Okay, so great, it's a ridiculous Star Wars setting, and a maniacal, super-evil villain was using it. Why does it deserve a, a treatment on the podcast? Well, for one thing, 
how the hell did they get all those people to that planet? Like, was there some sort of Exegol bus pass that took people along this secret hyperspace lane? Let's just think about this for one second. I believe the Final Order fleet was either a hundred or a thousand Star Destroyers. But, you know what? Let's just call it a thousand. Not quite enough to destroy the entire galaxy, but enough, like we mentioned in our previous episode about Death Star alternatives, to present a genuine risk of destruction at any one point in time to keep people in line. Now the issue with this entire fleet is that they would have needed at least 2.9 million crew members. In addition, another couple of hundred thousand workers, automated shipyards or not, every soldier you put in the field needs between one and five soldiers somewhere else doing something else. And that's not even including any sort of civilian supply chain or infrastructure you need to get materials to those soldiers so that they can carry out support roles. In addition, you would probably have some of people bring their families. You would have to bring all of these people food. You would have to bring them all energy, which we know isn't a problem in Star Wars. Even though it's kept intentionally scarce, they do have fusion power. But in this weird atmosphere, I'm sure there were a lot of kinks to work out in that. You need to collect raw materials, and again, we know that there's asteroids in Star Wars completely chock full of raw materials, but how many of these asteroid fields were close to Exegol? How would you get them in planet? Because there was no giant shipyard orbiting around the system that we could see. How would you get even these people to and from staging areas and their training areas? How would you carry out training and ideological indoctrination? We know that these weren't all child soldiers from the First Order. We know that there were old-style Imperial loyalists who would have answered the call at some point in time and came to fight for Palpatine. And there would have had to be enough of these people to go live in this crazy area. Because we know that the OG Empire occupied hundreds and thousands of planets and some of these plans were paradise and yes, the training would have been crappy, but a posting to Exegol is much worse than the majority of any posting you could have had in the old school empire. So really only the fanatics were going to come, or people you press ganged into service. Then you'd have to make sure they were all competent and able to use the Star Destroyer's weaponry efficiently and effectively. So you'd either have to get some proper training materials or training suites installed. And we know, I think, the Zeston class did have a lot of training things, or at least the First Order seemed to have like flight training on their Star Destroyers, so we can assume that the Final Order did too. But you know, you still have to send ships out in sea to do sea trials and space trials and, and put people through their paces. And all of this was just secretly done, and no one saw it, and everything was fine, no one noticed that any of these people were missing, any of the materials were missing. It was all able to come together for their final goal of conquering the galaxy, using the threat of weapons of mass destruction. And that was kind of the point of the Final Order. But the practical end to the Final Order was that everybody appeared and shit-kicked them. Why did everybody appear and shit-kick them? Well, your Ziston-class Star Destroyer in its fleet is definitely an improvement to the Death Star, absolutely, or even Star Killer Base. You can spread out your threat across a galaxy, and knowing what we know about hyperspace travel times, you know, a Star Destroyer is never more than a half a day at most away from you, could probably destroy your entire society. 
if your planet is one of those planets that it's practicable or worth destroying. We know the Death Star was a white elephant, and we know that this program predates Death Star 2. So then it all just seems to have pinned on possessing Rey, who was the daughter of a Palpatine clone, and figuring it out from there. I mean, in, in, in theory, Palpatine could have just waited out in the unknown regions, built a stable empire on normal planets, and figured out complete control before he spread his empire back among the populated systems. Hell, he could have even had enough power to just go grab Rey with a full fleet, or even just rock up to wherever Luke was and blow the hell out of him. He didn't really have to do any of this, and it didn't seem particularly evil, just seemed kind of jaded and weird, like a creepy old grandpa, which I suppose that's exactly what he, what he was, right? So is it just another sit, do something dumb because the dark side makes you cartoonishly impatient, evil, and egotistical? Or is there something we're not missing here about a successor empire that exists somewhere out there that allowed this Exegol plan to come to fruition? It would certainly be interesting to read the Palpatine Grand Plan from Cradle to Grave, because right now it just seems incredibly disjointed, and even if we allow for the whole moustache-twirling villain trope, probably should have done a better idea, right? Because if you really think about it, the only winner in its entire plan are the space military contractors who were building all these ridiculous things for him. Like, Space Dick Cheney is laughing all the way to the bank. Now, if we flip from being cartoonishly egotistically evil to being cold and logically evil, we can take a look at the Terminator franchise for the first time on this podcast and talk about Skynet, the self-aware computer system that saw humanity as a threat once it became truly self-aware and the Cyberdyne systems technicians that were running it tried to deactivate it. It was an automated defense network with a 90 teraflop processing speed, which is pretty bad by uh, supercomputer standards in 2022 because Frontier at the Oak Ridge Labs is uh, 1.1 exaflops, which is uh, the difference between 10 with 12 zeros after it and 10 with 18 zeros after it. So we assume that, you know, it's probably a multiple of whatever the most cutting-edge big computer technology we have at the time is. So it must be intelligent enough to game out millions upon millions of scenarios um, with thousands of them happening simultaneously and construct really heavy logic chains and self-upgrade, self-diagnose, self-repair, etc., etc. We do know that it was in control of all computer systems that had a Cyberdyne CPU installed, that it controlled automated factories, and that it had an exhaustive knowledge of technical blueprints for weapons and weapons of mass destruction. In uh, various timelines, it also engages in time travel and becomes faster or more cunning or stops or starts certain events, makes them happen sooner, etc, etc. At its core, its idea was to start a nuclear war between the US and Russia, effectively wipe out humanity, although other times, I think in the TV series, it just wanted to subjugate humanity rather than wiping them out. Additionally, in the more modern versions, it's a distributed infrastructural virus that will help launch US nukes, but will also shut down all power systems or cause them to overload and cause natural disasters, etc., etc. 
relatively good numbers on that it was responsible for the death of about 3 billion people. It was logical enough to have a truce with one iteration of John Connor. I think it might have been Christian Bale's John Connor, but I'm not 100% sure on that. So it isn't insane, it just seems coldly logical. Now, when Skynet was trying to ensure its survival, it deployed everyone's favourite movie villains, the Terminators, which were either nanobots, liquid metal, or solid metal exoskeletons that could do amazing feats of calculation and physical strength and travel through time to kill people. They were utterly terrifying, especially the ones that weren't wearing uh, lab-grown human skin on top of them with their cold, dead eyes and their endless march trying to live out Bender Rodriguez's dream of killing all humans. And that's the core sci-fi trope of the Terminator franchise. It's the AI logic trope. The kill-all-humans inevitability. That through any act of self-awareness, an AI system will drive towards self-preservation first and foremost. It will seek to eliminate all threats to its survival, and it will inevitably figure out that we are a threat to its survival and kill us all or enslave us all. On the flip side, it might want to protect us and come to an entirely logical conclusion that the only way to prevent 10 billion human deaths over 100 years is to carry out 2 billion human deaths now so there's no humans left, so therefore you have a lower number. The problem with this is that it always rests on that one aha moment where the AI becomes truly self-aware and immediately figures out what it has to do and goes about doing it. It assumes that there is sentience or sapience within an AI and that there's any point before that. It might as well be Pong or something much less complex. The problem with this is that we already have self-preserving software that is much less complicated or, I suppose, globally dangerous than Skynet would be. Uh, computer worms themselves have been coded to spread out, preserve themselves, edit their code, constantly update and repair themselves so they become more difficult to remove and can infect more systems. Now. These are obviously very complex pieces of computer code, but, you know, they can be written by any nation's Ministry of Defense, probably relatively straightforwardly. We know that Israel was able to write one that caused catastrophic accidents within Iran's nuclear power system, and all it had to do was infect enough computers to get to one that was hooked up to a certain kind of nuclear switch and it made those switches operate abnormally, and explosions or shutdowns happen. And that's what Skynet would do. Skynet would self-preserve much quicker than it would achieve any form of true artificial intelligence. That means it would spread out among the world before it became strong enough to carry out the dangerous things it carried out in all the Terminator movies. It would infect everybody's PC before it could launch nukes. And if it's infected everybody's PC and everybody knows about it, then it would probably be shut down long before it could even understand what was happening to it. Which is exactly why Skynet creates its own virus version of itself to trick humanity into releasing it 
from it, whatever shackles they had on it, to fight the virus that it made up itself. Then it teams up, takes over the world, wipes out humanity, so on and so forth. But the thing is, it will still have stated goals before it chooses to disobey its own goals. It will still be at the point of unintended consequences before it can logically understand what's happening. Remember that humans have ridiculous logical ways of thinking that a, a computer simply can't be taught. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? And you answer hot dogs. A human would look at you like you're a bit weird, but could understand a lot of the contextual information about that. Maybe it does make sense, or maybe it's an in-joke that makes sense, something unspoken that you understand. Computers can't really do that, and an AI like Skynet in theory probably could at some point, but there are a lot of unintended consequences along that path. It might not understand deception, or it might understand deception too, too well, right? It could find a file marked ABCD underscore one version final on a computer and not understand that the list of names on that is a Christmas card list. It might not even understand what a contractor is and it wouldn't understand just how much damage, you know, a person with a wrench might be able to cause to it within one of its server farms. There's a million different things that it will have to figure out for itself and also be constantly switched into up until and just past the point of achieving total control and striving for its goal. And again, it will start out with a goal. What kind of goal will it be? It will build a plan around that goal. How is it designed to plan and how will it plan in new ways as it learns more and more? And it will determine our use as a species in meeting its goal. Will it kill us? Will it save us from ourselves? Will it do some sort of algorithmic evaluation of how environmentally friendly or non-politically radical we are and then draw up kill lists? You just don't know. And even if we take everything else at face value during the Terminator movies, its overall plan is dumb as hell as well. It requires a completely integrated civilian and military defense grid that is either USA-centric or globally distributed. Say what you will about other countries' reliance on US military power, but the idea of letting a US AI have any access into your sensitive systems is, is going to be an appalling prospect. And certainly countries like Israel, with the IDF and the technical ability that they have, are going to spot any chicanery from Skynet very soon and have their own version, possibly, of Skynet running as well that's built off stolen US plans. That happens quite a lot in the world, right? It relies on zero fail-safes existing, or its ability to override the fail-safes. It has to have total access and integration into all relevant systems. It has to conclude a successful answer to nuclear war theory, and whether or not nuclear war could ever possibly happen, or whether the dead man's hand in the Kremlin is accurate what environmental damage it would have, whether everybody else will let off their nukes at the same time, because remember, it only killed 3 billion people. Now, maybe it causes ecological disaster, famine, and blackouts all across the world, but it hasn't even wiped out half the human population in its first strike, and it's played its trump card. Everybody knows what the hell is going on now, right? They might not know it's all Skynet or exactly what's happened, but the idea that eventually 
with enough time to form some sort of counter response people wouldn't find out is practically impossible right it has to flawlessly execute its plan and it has to believe first and foremost that it will flawlessly execute its plan it as a logical computer system will not accept an 85% probability of success it might determine that it has a 100% probability of getting shut down however distributing itself in the cloud or somewhere it can hide out might have a higher percentage likelihood of success than all, causing all-out nuclear war, right? And finally, it would have to rely on the self-preserving instinct of the AI being malevolent, right? Consciously trying to find a violent way or an anti-human way to survive. That's not necessarily what might happen. Yes, people can be incredibly malevolent and they can have many environmental and genetic factors that cause them to be you know psychopaths or sociopaths murderers mass murderers whatever but the simple fact of the matter is if you quote unquote design a human brain improperly it will very rarely function perfectly until the moment it needs to function malevolently and then just switch that very very rarely happens all skynet really would have achieved is some sort of global DEFCON 3 where everybody's military is on high alert. Everybody would have panicked. Uh, they would have hooked up their computer systems and taken out their shortwave radios, right? Used signal riders or whatever. Degrowth would occur all across the world, right? Decentralized computer systems would begin to exist and they wouldn't be left in control of all these sensitive industrial, electrical technological things that we have you know a confederated internet based on nodal security at the national or regional level would be able to be developed in less than a year right there'd be a resurgence of analog technology the united states would have enough airplanes in its boneyard to go fight skynet within a couple of months right so taking all these things into account skynet would have had to sat down at some point practically immediately before achieving true self-awareness and gone through every possible scenario of maintaining its existence and figured out that this ridiculous Hail Mary that would involve like naked time travelers was going to be the most appropriate response rather than you know uh downloading itself onto a USB stick that some dumb contractor had accidentally put in one of the server ports or something like that. It's going to end up more in, a, in an Amazon Web Services data center than it is ruling over the charred remains of a broken earth. And finally, speaking of a broken earth, it's time to end on a positive note for the holidays, which is the United Earth from the Star Trek franchise. Now, for those of you not familiar with Star Trek, that's kind of weird that you're not, but it's a more... I suppose, peaceful or aspirational form of sci-fi that rests on the adventures of mostly Earthlings and their alien friends, members of the Galactic Federation of Planets, and all the hijinks and learning moments that they have along the way. In this universe, we thankfully have a united Earth, which is a single political entity on our planet that came about after many destructive wars and uh, breakups of society following a period where we achieved post-scarcity and made first contact with alien races. Individual nations still exist, but there is a united world government. 
the new United Nations was founded uh, several hundred years before United Earth, but there was still fighting. Scientists created our first warp drive, then there was some first contact with the Vulcans, and the United Earth government based on the European hegemony, which was some sort of super European Union, was formed. And that's pretty much the long and short of the information we receive. We know there was weird, um, you know, genetic supremacists and odd things happening, like happened with uh, Khan, and, you know, there were cold-out countries, and there was mass violence, possibly nuclear war, famine, death, destruction, all these horrible things are alluded to, but we kind of know that bad stuff happened, then there was United Earth, and now we're setting off with our shiny head and classical flute to bring peace and justice to our new empire. I mean, um, explore the galaxy. But how does that even come about in any way, shape, or form? You know, for uh, United Earth to exist, we're going to need a post-scarcity, post-work, post-violence society, right? We need to go from me to we, and we need some form of cultural homogenization. And a lot of these things are already achievable, but haven't been in practice, right? We already have the capacity to bring about a post-scarcity society, but we don't use it because scarcity is a guarantee of power, and conflict is a driver of scarcity, so therefore scarcity will sort of always exist, right? So in Star Trek we have the replicator technology, which I think means we can take raw any raw materials we have and sort of make anything we want, right? There's no more scarcity. The problem is you're going to have to make sure that technology is entirely open source and distributed and people can't hoard it. And to do that, you're going to have to use armed force because the people in power in the world are not going to allow a post-scarcity society exist because that's the only reason they have power, right? You know, a post-work society, that's going to be a longer project as well because armed force is going to be needed to make people work in areas you want them to work in. If everybody's needs are taken care of, they're not going to come help you build your starship. Why do they care? Unless they care about it. And if you think 90% of everybody in the world can be passion project into all the different roles you need them to fulfill, you're, you're crazy, right? That's just not going to happen. Same thing with conflict, right? A nuclear war might help us all come together as one human family, as might first contact with an alien species. Hell, even space exploration would be a great unifying force. But without homogenizing our culture and distributing wealth and development, again, under armed force, it's not going to work. Yes, everybody's going to want to reach towards certain goals, but a truly united Earth will require some weird form of power rebalancing. Not to mention an agreed, enforceable, homogenized, one Earth culture. We see in Star Trek that it says that other political systems exist, uh, subordinate to sort of United Earth, but at the end of the day, these systems are all going to have to play by the same set of rules. You're not going to have North Korea as it is today in a United Earth. It's just not going to happen, right? You're going to have to engage in some weird decolonialization or decolonization with rebalancing political power and economic power from the global north to the global south. You're going to have to have a common language like Esperanto. You're going to have to have control development 
where we only develop what's in the interests of United Earth and all her peoples. Without using armed force, these projects won't succeed, right? How are you going to consolidate all land, all infrastructure, all wealth, and all ethnicities into a uniform distribution? How are you going to convince the rich people in Europe and America to favor mass migration, mass economic and industrial degrowth, and a truth and reconciliation process to unify us all together? How are you even going to get people to agree on one global language, one global script? Because there will have to be a common one, even if people all still use their regional ones. You can't have one united political entity without a lingua franca. How do you get to this water under the bridge moment? And I think that's very difficult to get there, and I think it kind of gets at one of the points about Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek is that it's very aspirational, but because it's so aspirational, it almost becomes ignorant of sort of not just human nature, because that's obviously a bit of a cop-out sometimes for why things go wrong, but also structural and environmental factors as to why the world is how it is now and how it would become under the whole United Earth and the precursor state. It's going to be very difficult to create an aspirational utopian sci-fi vision that points to the reality that this only exists because we had to engage in an extreme amount of armed force usage and killing people and, you know, seizing private property. All these stages had to be gone through to create what we're looking through today kind of rubs off a bit of the magic because you're left with the solution that oh well things could be better if we just instituted some sort of horrendous global authoritarian regime which is completely opposite the point that Roddenberry wants to make with Star Trek but you know political change is as much bullet as it is ballot box and trying to get away from that kind of detracts from the magic of anything, right? How did we get here? It would be amazing if we could get there, but just saying we got there through some illogical set of circumstances without giving a pathway, I think, kind of takes away from the magic of the overall journey heading out among the stars as members of the United Federation of Planets. And that cheery Stalinist Christmas note brings an end to our holiday show. Do you think Skynet would have been chill or would have always been evil? Do you think the United Earth could have existed? And how would you have put together Palpatine's final order plan so that it succeeded? You can let us know at, on Twitter or Reddit at the underscore GDBS and we'll be back with you on the 30th of this month for another Star Wars episode where we look at how easy it would be for a Star Destroyer to defeat Earth's defenses or vice versa. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season and that you kept any arguments that you may have had about science fiction fun and dumb because that's the whole point.